Hey there, product security pros, David and Shlomi here. Hosting the Left to Our Own Devices podcast has been a privilege. During the past two years, we had the opportunity to chat with top product security minds from the likes of CISA, the FDA, Boston Scientific, Jaguar Land Rover, and many others. 20,000 listeners and 50 plus guests later, we thought it was time to take things to the next level and launch the first virtual conference for product security. Left to Our Own Devices, the conference. Join us on April 3rd, 9 a.m. EST for fascinating and practical sessions from the world's top product security minds across industry, government, and academia, entirely online and completely free. KPMG, Showstack & Associates, OpsRight, Valentium, and ASRG have already joined as partners or speakers. To sign up for free and save your spot, go to cybellum.com conference. That's C-Y-B-E-L-L-U-M dot com slash conference. See you there and enjoy the show. Hi, this is David. And this is Shlomi. And you've tuned into Left to Our Own Devices, the product security podcast. Okay, so our guest today is Thomas Larocque. Thomas is the head geek at SolarWinds. He has over 20 years of IT experience, holding roles such as programmer, developer, analyst, and database administrator. He's here to talk about lessons learned from Sunburst, as well as SolarWind initiatives and the strategy going forward. Thomas, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a big pleasure. So why don't we jump right in? How did you get into the position you are in today and what lessons have you learned along the way? Oh, wow. So that's a two-part question. How I got here. So how I got here is like many stories of IT professionals, none of us set out to be what we are. And in my case, most of my pain comes from seven years being a production database administrator for a financial services company. And I certainly didn't go to school to be a DBA. Nobody goes to school to be a, a, a DBA. Although I did meet somebody once who said, no, I did. I'm like, you're lying, kid. You just want a job. The, the only person who ever did. <laughs> yeah. Nobody. No, you end up becoming a DBA because you can reset a password, right? Like, I, I'm logged out. Can you fix my password? Like, Or you can do a backup and a restore. <laughs> and now you're the DBA. And now you get started. And anyway, I was a production DBA for many years. I left that job to take a basically a sales engineer role with a small startup named Confio Software, where we made a product that was basically database performance monitoring. And that got acquired by SolarWinds in 2013. So I landed inside of corporate marketing as a head geek for you know nine years now. And that's how I got here. Not exactly a straight line. As like I said, most people don't have a straight line in IT. Nice. Right. So how about part two of the question? <laughs> what lessons have we learned along the way? You know, if I, yeah, so that's kind of saying, if you could, you know, go back in time and have lunch with your younger self, what would you, what would you say to younger you? So the question is, what would you eat for lunch? Uh, it would definitely, well, <laughs> that's, a, that's actually a harder question. Depends on the time of year. That's Depends a much harder mood. question. Yeah, that's a much harder question. But uh, I'm certain it would be delicious. Definitely. Shawarma. Shawarma. Actually, shawarma. If I could, shawarma. That, yeah. <laughs> I think the most important lesson, and I've talked about this and written about it, is 
to develop a sense of empathy. And I do wish as a younger self, I had a, a deeper sense of empathy because the natural reaction I had a lot of times when, you know, you get beat up a lot as a DBA, you just do, because everybody's blaming the database. It's a black box. Nobody knows what's going on and they need help. And they're screaming for help, but they're also kind of screaming at you. There's a sense to get that, take it kind of personally. Like, what are you yelling at me for? I didn't do anything. You're the one who wrote the stupid code that's doing it. Like, this isn't my fault. So I never led with empathy right from the start. That's something that had to develop over time and get a sense of like, whoa, what happened that got you to this point? Like, tell me more what you were trying to do so I can understand and really try to help you. And that sense of empathy really developed later in life. And I wish I had it as a little bit younger because you have the tendency to be like, I'm just smarter than you. You're just stupid. You did, you, you've screwed up again. And that's not the way, that's not a healthy relationship or a healthy environment. So that would be the the ultimate lesson, lead with empathy. Right, nice. right. I think it's it's probably relevant for a lot of people also in security to, it's something that definitely a lot of people need to develop in order to give any kind of service. It's a, it's a human life skill. It's not just the IT, right? It is yeah. a human life skill, lead with empathy. You know, you leave your house and you're like, I'm going to meet somebody who's just a jerk today. And it's okay. Because they they have a reason for whatever that why they're a jerk today, and it has nothing to do with me, and that is a human life skill. Yes, that's definitely true. So allow me to get straight to the point, uh, if you don't mind. And um, I'm really curious to hear your point of view. So talking about uh, Sunburst, how did the company respond to it from a security perspective? You know, based on your experience. Yeah, we're coming up on the anniversary, right? It's been two years. Yep. How we responded, I think, you know, from the initial reports of being informed that from CrowdStrike that there was an issue with our with our software, the initial response was, okay, what can we do for our customers immediately? What do what steps do we need to take to protect our customers? We're talking two hundred thousand plus customers at the time, and so the first thing is. What do we need to do? Who's affected? Meanwhile, like you're, there's one thing like, okay, what versions of the software? We had 60 something products at the time. Is it all software? Is it just the software? Which product? It was a lot to unwind. But while that's happening, what do we need to inform and what can we do for our customers? And then it became, so there's a lot of different things in motion. Uh, and then there's also, what do we need to inform, you know, the SEC and the public? Because you have laws around breaches and notifications. And then you got another set of team working on, okay, what can we do to help our customers that are affected? And that's where we engage with partners such as Loop One, where we work with them so they can go in and do the remediation effort necessary. Like we're not gonna just tell our customers, hey, go in and patch. Do you need help with that? Let us come and help you and make sure that everything is taken care of. So there was a lot of activity in a very short amount of time. And I could never praise the team at SolarWinds enough. Tim Brown, our our CISO, he he knew exactly what to do and the steps to do it and mobilized everybody necessary. And we were also in the transition period from one CEO to the next. And Sudhakar Ramakrishna came on and even came on early in order to, this is like day... Day zero for him was a day zero, right? It's it's right. 
it, it was amazing to me what we were able to get done in a short amount of time. It was also amazing that for all of the work we were doing, it was never going to be enough for, because there's always somebody, especially in InfoSec, why haven't you notified? Why haven't you done this? Why haven't you? It's like, you know, it's not like we're just sitting around hoping this all goes away. We, we're, we are really trying to work very hard and doing things in the correct order. Some people understand that. I find that the people who are kind of pressuring us to do one thing or another haven't really gone through a breach. They just think they know what they would do. And I, it's Mike Tyson who said, everybody has a plan to get punched in the mouth. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Like you think you know what you're going to do when you have like a data breach. Yeah, somebody left an Excel spreadsheet on the bus. Ah, uh, we know what to do. Well, when the nation state's involved, I bet there's not a lot of people listening to this have any idea what they would do. They think they know what they would do, but also how they would react and how to react to the negativity surrounding all of it. Because there's going to be people right. are going to say things. Hey, I heard this. I heard that. None of it's true. And you can't publicly say anything. It's the middle of an active investigation. So you kind right. of have to be reserved, too. It, it's, there was a lot to digest in a short amount of time. Yeah. Did you have a team structure in place, or was it kind of put together on the fly? Oh, we definitely had a team, but I, I don't want to speak to how much was on the fly or not. I Remember, I sit inside corporate marketing. I'm not part of the security right. team itself. My perception is we definitely had teams internally, but you know, the first thing we did was engage with CrowdStrike, right? So when they found it, we we're like, great. Are you available? Because what, what are you doing for the next few weeks? Like, because we could use your help immediately. So uh, we also engaged with Chris Krebs and Alex Stamos immediately. And so we engaged with the best of the best immediately, externally, third party to help because there's no way we could do it all on our own, right? Even if we had the best teams about, you absolutely need a third party to come in and you know, have that extra set of eyes to make sure that sure. we haven't missed anything. Right, right. I find it fascinating because we did a survey with medical device manufacturers a few months back. And one of the questions we asked is, how ready do you think you are to an incident? And they replied overwhelmingly, most of them replied that they're ready. They think they're they're entirely ready. They think they're ready. <laughs> They think they're ready. Yeah, they, they ask them the specifics. Do you have that in place? Do you have that practice in place? Do you use that framework? The answer was, <laughs> more, like frequently, it was no. So I think in a way, you guys are probably one of the only ones really with, with actual experience of how it looks like. And really the response you had to this was was amazing. And, and your your knowledge coming out of it is is priceless. Like you fell on the sword for a lot of uh, a lot of the industry, but but in a way you now have knowledge that no one else has because a lot of people are let's face it are a bit um, in denial about that, as you said. Yeah, interesting. So can you share with us? We've heard about uh, Secure by Design, the SolarWinds uh, Secure by Design initiative. Can you share with us a little bit about what that initiative is, please? Sure. Uh, so one of the things Sudaker did, I want to say, it was within the first three or four weeks. We we had several company-wide meetings uh, regarding getting updates as to what was going on. One of the first things he brought in was the notion of a secure by design initiative. Uh, I don't think he invented it. I think that was something that was already tossed about as a phrase, but he really embraced it and said, we need to earn back the trust and confidence of our customers and we need to have 
trust and confidence for new customers. So what we're going to do is we're going to follow what we call secure by design principles. And part of that approach was to come up with a new way of us doing our builds. So we have this concept of doing uh, parallel builds, like we do three builds, and then we have a hash signature and it has to match between each one. And they're ephemeral. The build environments only get spun up when we're going to release software. No one person is allowed access to more than one of the environment or to all three environments. And these were all known security, I don't want to say best practices, but practices. These, these are all things that were known in the industry. But again, working with a company like CrowdStrike and with Krebs and Stamos, they were the ones that helped us build that architecture, to my understanding. They helped us say, this is a, this is a more secure framework. Is anything going to ever be 100% perfect or no risk or anything? No. But what can we do today to minimize risk going forward? And that was secure by design. And so all of those things go together. But on top of that, it wasn't enough for us to just have that secure by design process. We wanted to go the extra step and say, everything we've learned from this, we're going to share publicly. So part of our secure by design initiative is to publish what it is we're doing and how we're doing it and make that open source so that way other companies can leverage how we're building our software. And we can learn from each other so that going forward, we continue to be secure by design. So anybody that would be susceptible to a supply chain attack like we were, if you want to build better software, here's the process to do so. And again, helping people to minimize risk. You're never going to be 100% perfectly secure. That's just... That that's just I, I don't know. If somebody tells you that you're 100 percent secure, I'd walk away from them and be like, I don't think you know what you're talking about. That to me is kind of a long answer, but but secure by design was was not just you know part of a process, but it was also part of how do we share what we've learned and how could we also learn from others. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Actually, following up on that, if we can double click on your uh, software build process, because that's the challenge we hear about a lot in the industry. So what tips can you provide companies that really want to change their build process to to make it more secure? You talked about some some of the things you implemented. Maybe you have others. So you're looking for specific parts of the build process? Or no, you're talking about how do we transition the company from a current build process to a secure by design one? That's what you're really Exactly. How did you modify? What what was the process? Yeah. Yeah. I I can't speak to specific steps. I'm outside the engineering team as well. But my understanding at the time, if I recall, with all the products that we had, it was the first thing was identifying which ones were vulnerable. And then from there, it, it was, I, I, don't, I don't have a timeline for you, but from there, it's initiating not just a new build process for a handful of products, but it's a new build process for 60 something products. So then became a thing, well, do we still need all 60? Maybe some of these we can just sunset now because why bring them right. along? Uh, and I think that's part of your decision. So if you're a company right now, if you have just one product, I think it's an easier thing to figure out. But if you have multiple things that you have to kind of deal with, uh, how do you transition? And I'm not sure that I have a perfect answer because I think different companies are going to be building software in slightly different ways, different tools. Right. But I think you have to get to a point of just figuring out where, you know, which one is it the most critical 
and, and you got got to get started because that's what we kind of had to do. Like we couldn't wait. Right. It's almost like, hey, I'll wait to have kids. I'm not ready yet, but I'll be ready eventually. You're never ready. So you just start. Same thing. You can't wait to be secure by design. You just got to get started. And that was kind of uh, how we got pushed into it, I would say, as well. It's like, now's the time to get started. And where do we get started? Well, let's identify the core products and let's figure out the new process. And once we got the architect and framework in place, then it became, okay, now what pieces of this can we start with today? And what's the timeline? And how does that look? Like, It's going to be hard to try to do everything all at once, but can, what pieces can we bite off this elephant one meal at a time, right? Right. I wish I could tell you that here, step one, step two, but I think it's just going to be different for everybody. I, I think the only thing I could tell you is identify the key things you want, infrastructure and that you can do immediately and start migrating right. one thing at a time until you get to a point where you're fully on the secure by design process. Right, right. I think that's very important insight because people really get overwhelmed sometimes by the amount of things that they need to do. And that's probably the best tip you can give. Yeah. Well, I would say another thing is to understand is that there every decision is cost, benefit, and risk. And in our case, if you th- if you go back, I think you'll find that uh, as a result of this effort, you know, this is where our developers were working on at the time. That meant we weren't rolling out a whole ton of new features. And so, right. if you don't have new features for your products, sometimes people are like, yeah. So, but that's that is the cost, right? So you just know for three to six months. No, there's no new features. The new feature is the entire new build process, which uh, the right. end user, what do they know? One, it's, it still looks the same, but trust me, it's going to be better for you. Yep. Yeah, I think I think that's a big challenge. You know, I've been in the software business for many, many years as a, on the vendor side. And I think that's always the big challenge is to almost get the customers to understand how much time is actually going into making sure that the software that they're receiving is safe to use and that it's not going to fall apart on them, you know, from the usability side and, you know, and to understand that that's part of the process. And if, if they're not getting a particular feature as quickly as they would like to, there, there is a reason for it. And it's not that we're holding back, you know, we, we really want them to have the best and most secure product that they can possibly have. So as Shlomi said earlier, you know, you've learned a lot and as a company, you've learned a lot. And we understand that you're sharing um, some of your findings with industry. So how, how are you doing that? How is SolarWinds sharing, you know, its experience, its findings with the industry? You know, that is uh, an excellent question. To my knowledge, I know we say that we're sharing it with open source. We have a uh, SolarWinds trust center, and I think details of of where uh, to find information on the framework, I think are found there. So if you were to search for SolarWinds Trust Center, you'd come to basically a landing page dedicated mostly to just Sunburst. And in there, you'll find information about Secure by Design. And I think you'll find mm-hmm. details of the framework and the build process. That sounds great. I'm sure our listeners will definitely uh, have a look at that. Yep. Check it out, guys. I'm curious. I know you work a lot with, with the government obviously from from the beginning but even more so now so in what ways has solarwinds been been supporting the government in its uh, response to increased cyber threats in general again because you have very very unique knowledge now and i imagine you use it to help the way the question i'm receiving it is uh, are we like in a, 
kind of a security consultant for government agencies. And I'm not sure that's the case. Uh, we make, mm -hmm. you know, observability or monitoring software that's secure by design. So that's slightly something different. We have partners that specialize in installations and training for SolarWinds software. And I believe one of those partners uh, specializes in working with a government entities, the public sector. And they are most likely the entity that is providing that type of a service. SolarWinds, as general, we don't have you know, a consulting service inside of our own company where we are doing that type of work. Right. Our software is used by many a government agency. Yes. Right. Right. Got it. Okay. So I guess for the final question that we have for you today, after a breach like that, I'm sure there's a lot of questions that were raised by your customers. So how did SolarWinds regain the trust of its customers? I was at an event a couple of weeks ago. We did a little focus group. We were speaking with uh, maybe a couple dozen customers over lunch. And the topic of the incident came up and those customers represented a good cross-section of our customer base as well. We had some state and federal government agencies there. We had some private sector, but big companies, healthcare insurance. And the general consensus was, it, it was interesting because there were people in that room that it, it kind of ran the gamut. They're like, oh no, as soon as the breach happened, we, we uninstalled all your stuff. And I'm like, okay, sorry to hear that. Some of those people then said, about a month later, we realized how much we needed you. So then we we decided to reinstall the newer versions. And then we engaged with some of your third-party vendors in order to make sure the environments were set up correctly and that we didn't miss anything. So that was nice to hear. Uh, there were other people who said, well, when the incident happened, we we were instructed to turn you off, not uninstall, just make sure things are turned off until for a period of time. It was our response. It was how we handled ourselves and how we handled the breach. Our response is what regained their trust to turn things back on. As soon as they knew the, the details they needed, if they were truly affected, it, you know, there were so many things that had to fall into place for a person to kind of be vulnerable to this. And if you weren't one of those, you could turn us back on. And then, by the way, now you, we can update your software and you'll be better and all that. But our response and our engagement with uh, other vendors to come in for free, there was no charge for, for us to come in and help you get back up and running. We, it was all free. You just had to contact us and, and we can come and help you. So that response and the effort we made to do right for our customers uh, really was the best thing that we could do in order to regain the trust and confidence. So, and, and I think. It, for even people who weren't that familiar with SolarWinds, seeing how we handled it, I think gave them a sense of, you know, that not just trust, but like, like we weren't just gunfighters in the Wild West, like, hey, whatever. We weren't just like freewheeling, like, no, we're, we're fairly serious. We take this serious. We understand what has happened. And, and here's how we want to do things going forward. And when they saw all of that, I think that also uh, has helped us. Uh, in the market as well. Because they saw that the response was straightforward and that you were being open with the customers. And I, I haven't, I haven't come in the two years since I haven't come across somebody that has been like, 
Now, you guys, you totally screwed it up and your joke. Nobody has come to me and said that they're disappointed in how we have and what we have done for the past two years. Nobody. Uh, have we had right. customers right. that have had to turn us off, but then have come back yet? Yeah. Have we had customers that are happy with our response yet? Yeah. So there, there's been a wide variety inside of there. But I, I haven't been at a show and had somebody like, you know, they're not booing us like we're Elon on stage, right? Nobody's going by our booth and being like, oh, I can't stand you guys. Like, you know, I've got Black Hat and Facebook had a booth and people are like, why is Facebook at a security event? That's the worst secure thing in the world. Nobody's treated us that way. So I, I feel that we've done okay. Nice, nice. I think there's a there's a, a huge lesson to be learned here in general, which is the fact that the specific company uh, had an incident doesn't mean that that company doesn't take security seriously. Like we tend to think, you know, that since an incident happened, then the company didn't prepare or or is not taking it seriously. But it's not the case, right? It's sometimes just a Russian roulette, and one company can be extremely ready and and had something happen to it because you never have a hundred percent security. So. If you are the target of a nation state, if you think you can defend yourself against the resources that they have, you're fooling yourself. No one's going to be, if you are a target, you are going to be breached. So with that, Thomas, I think it's a good way to, to end this conversation. So, so first of all, thanks a lot for, for the time and for the insights. Um, as I said, your your experience uh, at SoloWinds is is something that's you know invaluable to to teaching the entire security and product security community. So thanks for sharing some of the things you learned along the way. I'm glad to see that you uh, as a company are uh, uh, moving forward. And um, yeah, thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks thanks again for having me. Love to do this again sometime. And and it's really great to hear about the way you guys responded. The openness is something I think that's really important. And I think it's important for our listeners to take that away as to how you have to respond to a breach of this uh, nature or any breach, because we've seen other companies in the, you know, in the market, in the world that have not been as forthcoming. And I think uh, that their reputations suffer greatly from that. Agreed. So thanks very much for being with us today. Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com.